Well, good morning to all of you. Um, I think it's probably appropriate to think about joy soon after Thanksgiving and looking forward to, um, to Christmas and thinking about uh, the people who were experiencing joy. They were looking forward to a coming Messiah. And yet, if I'm honest, I struggle with joy. This is something that um, I do the things I'm supposed to, but I don't always do it with the right attitude. And yet, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it's the second one. And so that means it's probably pretty important, right? Um, you wouldn't, uh, you know, it's not like um, temperance or self-control where it just ends up at the end of the list is something that Paul decided to tack on there. This is love, joy, and peace. You know, those are the three most important, or they should be anyway. Um, and in preparation for this message, I read several books. Um, but one of the books I read was a book called Joy, God's Secret Weapon for Every Believer. And the title was better than the book. Um, it was written by a man named Georgian Banoff, who was a violinist in Bulgaria under the Iron Curtain. And um, he managed to escape from Bulgaria um, to West Germany. And from there he came to the United States. And at some point he moved to California. Um, and he was hoping to find work as a violinist, I guess. And he didn't really find a whole lot, um, but he met there some Christian hippies, and um, they were willing to share food with him, and as long as he would listen to their gospel message. And so he didn't really like them, and he couldn't stand their singing. He said it was all out of tune, and um, they would strum on their guitars, and he would just think about how terrible this was. Uh, and he kept coming back because he was hungry, and, and he just wanted to eat. And at some point along the way, Something clicked and he became a Christian. He described it as being filled with just the glowing embers, just just feeling like it just was, God's joy was just coming out of him. And he started talking in tongues and doing all sorts of things that Mennonites would never dream of doing. Um, and, um, and his story was kind of up and down. It didn't sound quite like joy to me because it was really emotional and it was... You know, he'd be really high, and then and then God's spirit would sort of go away from him, and he'd be sort of down, and um, and uh, it just you know, I think he probably did have joy, but I think he also probably uh, had some emotion-based kinds of things. And I I think his thesis, which is that Christians lack joy, and that if they would just use joy in their lives, the church would be a different place, is probably true. There's far too many times that we go through the motions, doing things that we know we're supposed to do, but without a spirit of joy inside our hearts. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And the Greek word here is chara, C-H-A-R-A. I don't speak Greek, uh, but it signifies joy gladness or sometimes a source of gladness. Um, and we've heard this before, haven't we? There's, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Uh, you know, people out in the world, they have, they're happy people some of the time. But they don't have true joy, right? You've heard that. Probably. How many people have heard that? Yeah, so you all have heard that. I've heard that too. Um, so, Happiness is a good feeling that typically results from pleasant experiences. Christians are happy sometimes, too. In fact, hopefully they're happy all the the time. Joy is something that should be consistent from day to day, regardless of the circumstances. Maybe it's like the difference between weather and climate. Um, do you all remember a difference between weather and climate? People in physical science should remember that, yeah. So... So weather is something that happens from day to day, and climate is something that's overall trends from like long.
periods of time, from long periods of time. So if you average what our temperature over the last uh, 50 years has been, then you should come up with something that uh, approximates what's going to happen tomorrow, but it usually doesn't. C.S. Lewis says that joy is unsatisfied desire and the knowledge that there is something more. And I like this concept. Joy is not living in a tumble-down house with terrible landscaping and a leaky roof. It is seeing a future where the house is repaired and repainted where there's flowers blooming and a happy family is living there. That is joy. And so often we struggle because we can't see the future and we're living in the present. And the present isn't always perfect. In fact, it's often not perfect. Now, some people are more prone to see silver linings than other people. We call this optimism. And how many of you all here are optimists? Okay. There's three. So, so the rest of you all listen. Okay. So... I always, I always think of myself as a realist, so, you know, I know bad things are going to happen, and it's just realistic to assume uh, that some of them are going to happen to me. So how many of you all would say you're realists? Yeah, there's several. So the reality is realists are pessimists, so anyway, just be honest with yourself this morning, okay? You're, you're sure that um, God has got many trials in your life, and that's just because he's building something wonderful in you, and you, you can't see it quite yet, but... Anyway, I have a brother who always thinks um, that good things are going to happen. He, he does C-sections, and so when I was doing deliveries back in Indiana, I would call him in, and, and um, I never remember calling him in on a, a difficult case where he would say, you know, I, I just don't know, John, this, is, this, this, one's, this one's just trouble. He'd always, he'd always come in and he'd say, oh, yeah, that's, oh, it's not so bad. Well, and he had some ideas, and anyway, he was sometimes wrong, but... He was definitely more upbeat than I was. I just, I just was, I was pretty negative, we'll say. Um, but Christians aren't called to be optimists. Um, but I do think that joy is easier if you're optimistic. So let's turn to Psalm chapter 16. This is um, where the, um, the key verse uh, and passage that I wanted to look at comes from. And then we are going to do kind of an overview of, um, of Philippians. So I'm going to tell you all that um, I read several books and listened to several books um, in preparation for this message. And the best book I read is written by the Apostle Paul. It's the book of Philippians. So if you read that three or four times this week and think about it, and think about what Paul was dealing with, you are going to have a better concept of joy than most everybody out there. Psalm 16, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to, thy ex- to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied, that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup, Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. 
My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The last verse is the one that that just stands out. That's the one that we all know, isn't it? Uh, But it begins with the realization that without God, we cannot be good. And this is something that I think um, most of us think, well, you know, we can't be totally good, but we we can be pretty decent without God. Uh, Second thing is that sorrow comes from those who participate in idolatry. We see this in verse 4. And this is something that takes time for us to understand. For Satan promises pleasure and happiness for those who chase after the gods of this world. The gods of this world today aren't things like Baal and Shemosh, but they are things like materialism and stuff. Okay? And Satan puts up good advertising. He says, if you chase after this stuff, you will be rewarded with happiness and with joy. And you aren't. The second half makes it totally clear that our source of joy is God. God gives us wisdom. He is our inheritance. Um, and um, I think about this. Um, my mind went to, to Genesis 15, verse 1, where he told Abraham that he was Abraham's shielding great reward. He establishes us. And maybe David was thinking of a physical kingdom here about the fact that the Israelites would be able to defeat the Philistines and any other people that they... Um, might be attacked by because God was on their side. And he shows us a path that leads in ways of gladness and joy. And we're going to explore this a little bit later on, but this path is not to say that we're at our destination. We are on a journey. And so, as we look down the way, we can't see the end of the path. There's corners that we're going to go around, and there's things that are hidden behind from our view, and there's some of them will be good things. Some of them will be hard things. But what we know is that God can see all of the path. He's standing on top of the mountain. And he sees that path winding around. And he sees the destination. And it's someplace that will uh, bring us joy. A lady came in to see me last week. And, um, and she was talking to me about some different things. Um, not, not having to do with joy. And then she said to me, Dr. Waldron, the thing that amazes me is how happy Mennonites are. You people really have something wonderful going on. And it turned out she knew Mennonites from South Boston, so I, I thought, well, you know, you don't know Bethel people so well. Well, she knew me, I guess. Anyway, but she knew I was a Mennonite. And, and I thought about how good a, um, a testimony that is when somebody thinks about us as as happy people, as, as people who are glad to be serving God. But maybe it's just that we're good at hiding our frustrations when we're out in public. You know, it's just like, oh, you know, something bad happens, and so we just say, praise the Lord. And then everybody thinks, you know, wow, he's really spiritual. He's really, he's really praising God um, in, our, in his situation. But we should exhibit joy, shouldn't we? Um, the song says we have joy, joy, joy down in our heart. And sometimes that's where it stays. And yet I think our joy should be visible on our faces. People should look at us and we should occasionally smile. 
When you look at old paintings, people always look kind of sour. Okay, and I don't think it's that people in the old days didn't smile. It, some of it had to do with film, right? So if you had your picture taken back in 1890, you might have to sit extremely still for for 30 seconds in order for them to get a good exposure because they just didn't have very good film back then. Now we've got phones that can take pictures around that, right? Um, so people had to sit really still. If you were having your paint, um, picture painted, you had to sit even stiller and for a longer period of time. So I think that's why people kind of, it's easier to keep a sour look on your face than a smile. You just, you know, eventually people taste it on. But joy should show on our faces. So we're going to go to the book of Philippians, and I'm not going to read the whole book, although that would be a good idea. Um, but we're going to touch on different things um, in this book. So we know that Paul wrote this epistle from prison in Rome. Um, he was in prison, but he was not in pain. And he lists some of the different reasons that he had joy. Um, and as you go through the book, you find them. Um, the first thing is in the very first chapter, so verses 3 through 5, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul had joy that the Philippians had received the gospel and that they were continuing to live for God. This is something that just really, he, he treasured that. And maybe it's because he had part in um, in the birth of that church. There was no church at Philippi. Sometimes Paul went to, to congregations and he strengthened them. He spoke, um, he spoke and ministered to them. But there was already a few. There were already a few Christians there, and he was more strengthening what was there. But Philippi was a place where there was nothing, and he came and began a work there. Philippians 1, verses 6 and 7. So just the next two verses. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think of all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bond and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. And there's two things I see in this passage. So first of all, God has done a good work in their lives and hearts and is continuing to do it. So that is something that is a blessing when you see that in other people. And the second thing is that Paul knows that there are other churches that also share his love. So knowing that they were supporting him, even though he was far away from them, a lot farther than what we are um, from people um, because of phones and all sorts of technology. So we're going to go down to verse 12 through 18 in Philippians 1. It says, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense of truth, Christ is preached, and, in, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. 
So Paul had joy that the gospel was being preached, um, even if sometimes it was preached by questionable people. So the important thing for Paul was that people met Jesus. Okay, he, you know, he would say, I trust that if somebody truly meets Jesus, even if it's from a teacher who is suspect, that they will continue that journey with Jesus. And I rejoice in that meeting. Whoever introduces them to my master. So maybe we can learn from this point of view. We are not in competition with other church groups. And we can have joy when other people succeed. I do think it's worthwhile having a church that is trying to live out the love and the community that Jesus wanted. And at the same time, the important thing is that people meet Jesus and once they know them, know him, he is going to change their life in a way that we couldn't, even if he was attending here at Bethlehem and I. So verses 19 and 20, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So here Paul is rejoicing that Jesus is going to receive glory regardless of what happens to him. So he knows that if he dies, um, that, if, that is, if his trial goes, the, as we say, the wrong way, okay, and he's executed, Christ will receive glory. Or if he's released and can continue ministering to the churches, uh, Jesus will still receive glory. So, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. So, just a few verses over. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul rejoiced when he knew that the Philippians exhibited the mind of Christ. They behaved with humility, not based on their own wants, but on the needs of each other. And they acted in community. And this community was... Philippi, but it was also broader than that. It included Paul and included Christians all over the place. Um, and it really seems as though Paul was worried that there would be divisions within the church that happened for selfish reasons. And he was quick to identify and call out heresy, but there are plenty of times that the body can fracture for other reasons than that somebody is just teaching a false doctrine. There's just plenty of times when people just don't get along. And Paul was joyful when he saw that at Philippi, the people were willing to humble themselves and get along. Chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. It's interesting that the word finally shows up here. If there's a last message to the church at Philippi, if Paul is going to be executed and called home, he wanted them to live Christian lives of joy. Um, Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7, I'm not going to read that, but Paul lists a bunch of things that sound good, things that he had through the flesh um, obtained. He says specifically that these things do not bring him joy. Uh, you know, sometimes um, you see these things in obituaries, right? You know, all the different things that somebody did, so sometimes they're um, 
you know, a lot of initials of people after their names or things that they did or whatever. And Paul says all this stuff is worthless. Joy does not come from things that we attain or things that we have. Joy comes from another source. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Joy comes from filling our minds with wholesome pure, lovely things. Um, and each year that passes, this gets more difficult. So I thought, you know, things were bad when COVID was going on and there was constant reports of people dying. But um, since COVID, um, there's been monkeypox and then there was um, triple respiratory disease where people were getting RSV and flu and COVID at the same time. Um, and then... You know, there's wars um, in Ukraine and other places. Um, and social media is just full of people behaving badly and, um, and saying kind of nasty things to each other. Even Christian people do this. And there will always be bad news out there. There was bad news in Paul's time. So it wasn't like Pax Romana was just perfect for everybody and everybody was just glowingly happy with Emperor Nero. No. But we need to make certain that we fill our minds with good things. Philippians 4.13, this is kind of the summation. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And Paul was not saying that he was going to be able to climb Mount Everest without oxygen if he prayed enough, um, nor that he was going to be able to win medals at the Olympic Games or anything like that. Paul was simply saying that through prayer he had learned to be content even when life wasn't so great. More than that, he's telling the Philippian church that he was able to do the impossible, to be joyful when languishing in prison with the threat of execution because of his deep connection with Jesus. And I wonder what it would take for us to develop this sort of joy and this sort of connection with the people of God. So let's summarize things here. What are the things that Paul says helped him remain joyful in prison? Well, first of all, Paul was joyful as long as the message of the gospel was going out and the kingdom was flourishing. Um, and I think we tend to personalize a little too much. So we say, you know, this last week, and we can list all the good things that happened to us, all the bad things, and then we say, well, you know, um, um, and then we try to, to come up with reasons why the bad things weren't so bad, maybe, if we're optimists and so on. But Paul is focused on the kingdom as a whole. As long as the kingdom is triumphing, he can have joy. Second thing is that Paul received joy when fellow believers had joyful things going on. Romans 12, verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Um, and somehow it seems easier to weep at a funeral than to, than to feel upbeat when somebody else gets an accolade. And um, I think about politics, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in politics who are just convinced that the only way for them to succeed is for the other party to fail. Um, and that just seems like a sad place to be. That should not be where Christians are at. Third thing is that joy comes from being single-minded. And I think of athletics, and it's so 
Um, a great athlete is not focused on individual achievements, um, not thinking constantly about scoring the most points or getting the most attention. Um, they're focused on doing what is necessary for their team to win. And Paul was single-minded in his focus on seeing the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. He wanted the kingdom to grow. His desire was for people to know Jesus. Fourth thing is the joy comes when we realize that even the bad things in our lives are blessings. Uh, and Paul in prison was able to identify some good things about being in prison. So I, you know, I would have had a hard time probably um, thinking about this, but he says, A, he had the opportunity to spread the gospel to people he wouldn't otherwise have because of being guarded by soldiers. So these soldiers would rotate in and out. And so somebody was guarding Paul, and maybe they would, they would receive Jesus, and then they would be sent out to Spain or to Great Britain or whatever. Um, they didn't call it Great Britain back then. They called it Britannia. But it doesn't really matter. They were, they were messengers from Paul to places where he would never be able to reach. And the second thing is he could learn things from his experiences. He had probably more time to write epistles and to reach out to the church in ways that he wouldn't have if he hadn't been in prison. Um, joy grows out of contentment. Um, and this is something that I think our world could learn a lot about. Um, if we are content, then we usually do not need to constantly chase the next experience or the next material thing. And then the final thing, this isn't something that Paul said, but this is from Psalm 1611, which is that fullness of joy comes from spending time in God's presence. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, our dog has everything she needs. Her name is Aria, and so we give her plenty of food and water, and she's got places to run around, and she digs up our yard, and we don't even say anything. But she craves human attention. And so, if you're sitting there... She will come up to you, and she will stick her nose as close to you as she can. She will push herself up against you. Because she has a people's side, hole in her heart, that she needs to have filled. And in the same way, we have a God-sized hole in our heart. And we can chase everything else to try to fill that hole. But we will never have joy until we are in His presence. Feeling Him deep inside us, changing our hearts, making us desire things that we never desired before. So often we, we try to fill our time with stuff, and we succeed, okay? So, you know, you guarantee spent your time seven days this last week doing things, and yet the time spent in God's presence is the most important time. So I thought I would touch a little bit on joy stealers. So things that um, things that can just rob us of joy. Um, and the first thing is fear. So I, I can see my schedule ahead of time and there, there are times that I see on my schedule a, a patient that's coming in that's going to take a lot of energy and I just let that sap my strength ahead of time. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's sometimes a helpful thing to know that somebody's coming in because you say, well, you know, I can get records because I know they were in the hospital or, you know, 
I don't know, whatever it is. Um, I had had a hard day at the office one day, um, and I was getting to the end, and I was ready to be done. Um, and this was back when we were still using paper charts, so this would have been 2001. So some of you all can't remember 2001. Um, and so I came out of the room for my last patient, and there was a chart in the door. And I knew that chart shouldn't be there. I got the chart, and it was the hardest patient I'd had to that point. She always took 45 minutes, and she always had a long list of things that were wrong. And and, um, and I took the chart, and I walked over, and I said, what is this chart doing here? Because I didn't want her to hear me say it, of course, you know. But I was pretty grumbly. And um, my nurse said, she came in, and she just wouldn't take no for an answer. Said no anyway. Anyway, and I grumbled for a while. And um, anyway, I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere, so I went and I opened the door and walked into the room. And there was my someday to be wife, Elaine, very sitting there in the room. And it was actually a joke my uh, uh, my nurse had played on me. She just thought this would be so much sillier if um, Elaine had surprised me by coming to Indiana. And so, anyway, she thought, well, this is just really stoke things up by putting her in a room and putting this chart on the door, and then John would just get all upset and bent out of shape, which I was. I was upset up until I saw her face, and then I wasn't so upset anymore. Uh, my fear had robbed me of joy for about five and a half minutes, uh, but sometimes it robs us of joy for a lot longer than that. Isaiah 61, verse 3 says, To appoint them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And we can trust God, can't we? He has our future in our hands. He can take our fears and our anxieties and our worries and just dump them in the ocean with the sins that we've confessed to him. And he will see us through our journey. Second thing that steals our joy is that we undervalue our gifts and blessings. Um, So not everyone is a successful businessman or or brain surgeon. Um, And it's easy to focus on professions that seem exciting and not realize that our gifts and talents are important too. And this is the message of the body of Christ. Paul says that the least beautiful organs are some of the most important. Your liver is not attractive, okay? So nobody paints pictures of livers, um, except in anatomy textbooks, okay? But you can get along a lot easier without an eye or a hand than you can your liver, okay? Um, So we need to count our blessings. Envy and coveting steal our joy. We're not going to read it this morning, but 1 Kings chapter 21 is a story of a king named Ahab. And Ahab saw a vineyard that he wanted. And it robbed his joy, didn't it? And it eventually cost him his life and the, wife of, and the life of his, um, of his wife, Queen Jezebel. So he saw Naboth's vineyard. And even though he had tons of other stuff, he wanted this vineyard. It was close to where he lived and where his house was, and it was a nice vineyard, and I don't know what all. And I don't know that we, as we get older, we covet stuff so much. I mean, when I was younger, I probably did. Um, But more life experiences and and where people are at. Um, And yet, 
you know, wherever somebody is at today, you know, it took them a journey to get there. And we've not had that same journey. I think sometimes we lose enjoyment of simple things. And this is, um, this is something that our world really does. It ramps up the thrill factor. Uh, so you have to do more in order to reach the same um, benefit uh, of, of um, happiness or pleasure. So roller coasters, there's a couple of roller coasters I was reading about that have a 400-foot drop in them. And they're building one in Saudi Arabia that will have a 500-foot drop. <coughs> So, you know, do we have to do more and more aggressive things in order to get joy? 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Can we still get enjoyment out of sitting down with a cup of coffee and a good story or playing a board game with our family? Can you enjoy a bowl of popcorn with just some salt and butter on it? What kinds of things are simple things that you can think about, that you can be thankful for and be joyful in. Because there's lots and lots of those things. And at the same time, there's so many little things that steal our joy. So some people get amazingly bent out of shape when somebody squeezes a tube of toothpaste the wrong way. Um, Or maybe they they, um, leave just one square of toilet paper on the toilet paper roll. Now, I admit, that one's a big one, so, um, but we need to be able to experience joy, even when the people around us aren't helping us do that. Another thing is that sometimes we don't feel joy because we don't see the gospel bearing fruit in our lives. And it's clear when he was writing to the Philippians that Paul was blessed both because of things that he saw the gospel doing in his own life, but also the blessing that he saw in other people's lives. But when we don't see the gospel bearing fruit, it makes us feel just kind of discouraged. You go to church and you're not even sure necessarily why. And you wonder, where am I at this morning? Why should I really feel joyful about the gospel? Yet it's the same gospel thinking about doctors, doctors get reviewed by things and, you know, we get our, our patients compared to other people's patients. They say, oh, you know, ex-doctor out there is patients, they've got really good diabetic control and yours aren't so good. And, and we come up with all sorts of reasons. Well, you know, my patients just aren't doing what I tell them to do. Uh, or they can't afford to take the medicine I want them to take. Or, you know, whatever it is. Oh, but the reality is that, you know, I'm just making excuses. The gospel is efficacious today as it was in Paul's day. It changes lives. And if we're not seeing the gospel bear fruit in our lives, in the lives of the people around us, then we have to question why. But that will definitely steal our joy. Sometimes we overestimate our trials and underestimate our God. So joy is about vision. You know, when David came to face, face Goliath, Goliath was big. He was really big, way bigger than David. But David's God was bigger yet. Way, way, way bigger than Goliath. So there are three things we should always keep in mind that help us to have joy. First of all, in every situation, God loves us. 
second thing is that God is not surprised by any of the things that we face. And the third thing is that not only is God greater than our troubles, but there is nothing that can happen to us that will defeat his purposes within our lives. So if I could add one last sort of thing here, I would say that if we can keep a sense of humor and even laugh at ourselves occasionally, it helps. So people who are really self-serious, who have to be right all the time and never make mistakes, you know, they struggle with joy. There's a time to weep. We shouldn't show up at funerals cracking jokes, but humor helps in many different ways. And humility is part of being able to laugh at ourselves. So, in conclusion, joy is not based on experience. And our tendency is to equate joy to happiness. And happiness can come from events, from good times with friends, and receiving a good gift. But joy comes from letting God work wonderful things in our lives. In Guatemala, there's a little community called Yerba Buena. And um, I remember visiting there in the late 80s. Um, there was no electrical power there. Uh, and they had a, the mission family had a well out in front of their house. And this well was the kind that you still dropped a bucket down and you pulled up water by hand. And everything that they did had to be done from this well. And um, they, didn't, they didn't have a well pump or anything like that. And during the dry season, the girls from the community would come with their tinajas, their, their uh, water jugs, and they would drop the bucket deep down into the well to pull out the water and fill them. And then they would walk home with them on their heads. And that's the way that they got the water for their families. And there were a lot of more shallow wells in the community, but... In Yerba Buena, this was the deep well. This was the well when the other wells went dry. People could still draw water out of it. And I've thought many times of women like Rebecca doing the same thing so many years ago in the Old Testament. How much work it took just to get the water for everyday functions in the house. In western Kansas, many of the wells have to be dug a thousand feet deep in order to reach the water of the aquifer. And without the effort, to put the well all the way down, it will not sustain. And joy is like this well. It is most important in dry seasons, in times of sorrow, for it gives us strength to sustain. It gives us blessing, not only to us, but to those around us. And it's based not on us, but God's work in our lives. The deeper it is dug, the closer we draw to Him, the more sustaining it will be during the dry times in our lives. So I finish with this question. Do you, here at Bethel Mennonite Church, have joy this morning? You should. Not because you're wonderful or because your life experiences are perfect. Maybe, maybe they are. But you should have joy this morning because God has said that in His presence is fullness of joy. He has promised that He would be here this morning. Isn't that a blessing?